morning and welcome to High Point Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. Uh, great to be here with you wherever you're watching from, especially if this is your first time. Thrilled to have you here. You are officially in my living room today. When the pandemic first started over a year ago, we literally were recording sermons every week uh, out of my house. But now that we're in a series in Acts uh, called Brick by Brick, one of the things that the early church did was they met in each other's homes. Now, there's enough people in our church and those that watch from different cities. You can't all come to my house. Uh, it's not going to work, but I can invite you in here today. Welcome to my home. Uh, welcome to what uh, life was, would be like, virtually speaking, 2,000 years ago. And uh, we're excited to get into the message today, grow together uh, house to house, from my living room to yours. With that, turn to, uh, turn to the book of Isaiah actually today. We're going to get into Acts, but before we get there, we're going to get to Isaiah. Um, and, and let me just tell you what we're going to talk about today. Today, I want to speak to you about spiritual grit. Spiritual grit. Now, grit is one of those words that's popular in the workplace right now. It's popular in academics, and the whole idea is that if we can identify uh, characteristics and qualities that are common among people who go on to become successful, well, then it would, it would very much, uh, it would affect your hiring practices. It would affect uh, how you offer scholarships and grants to colleges and uh, lab work, et cetera, et cetera. One of the challenges, though, is that, is that all of the, the, the factors and the people and, and places and, and just all, all the determining factors that go into success, right, proved to be very difficult in finding a common thread. But one of the things that has been rising to the surface as a common denominator of success in people's lives is this thing called grit. Now, when it comes to us watching the sermon today, uh, we're going to talk about this in a lens that's a bit different than, than workplace and academics. Today, we're talking about spiritual grit, the idea uh, that you can keep going when things get difficult, that there's, a, there's just a, there's a no-quit button inside your soul. And we need this as a culture. We need this as a church. And we see this in the life of the early church. You will not see the word grit in the Bible. You will not see the word spiritual grit anywhere in Acts or the New Testament. In fact, several of these building blocks that we're talking about are not explicitly uh, taught as much as we get a, a window glimpse into what it looks like. And this is one of the things that we see. We see grit. We see spiritual grit. Dr. Karen Feldman, author of The Grit Guide for Teens, defines grit like this. She says that it's passion and perseverance for long-term and meaningful goals. It's the ability to persist in something uh, you feel passionate about and persevere when you face obstacles. It's not about emotion or infatuation. It's about uh, it's about having direction and commitment. Grit is, is passion and perseverance for long-term and meaningful goals. That right there should speak volumes to us because we are not a people that are accustomed 
to, to persevering, to having endurance, or to even having long-term goals. In fact, if you don't get what you want and get it immediately, everything in all our culture signals to us that something is deeply wrong. Oh, you want that and you can't have it? Something is awry. And that's not necessarily the case. Why is this important? Spiritual grit is imperative for you that are watching because at some point in your life, you're going to want to quit. I'm going to say this. This isn't the good news. We're going to get to that in a moment. But there are going to be things that you face, obstacles, resistance that feel so insurmountable, that are so great, the mountain peaks seem so tall, so high, that you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to quit praying sometimes. You're going to want to quit reading your Bible. You're going to want, possibly at some point in time, to quit your marriage. You're going to want to quit discipling and investing in the next generation. You've been hurt so many times, it would be easier to just give up, to walk away. You're going to want to quit your church. You're going to want to quit giving. You're going to want to quit investing, sometimes even in your own kids and in your own family due to just hurt and pain or letdowns or disappointments. You are going to want to quit. And the thing that's going to help you get going and get through it is developing spiritual grit. I'm not here to give you a self help message. Salvation is, is, is accomplished and afforded to you by Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. But sometimes as pastors and in an effort to make sure that we don't preach anything that sounds like you earning your salvation, the pendulum can swing so far this direction that, 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 that you almost are left with this idea that once you get saved, your responsibility is now nothing and you can just sit on the couch. And that isn't the case. That isn't the case at all. We have to become a people that develop spiritual grit. So for us today, we're going to define grit a little bit differently through a biblical lens. And here's how I've got it down for us today. Spiritual grit is the ability to persevere through obstacles towards a Christ-centered goal. One more time. Spiritual grit. It's the ability to persevere through obstacles towards a Christ-centered goal. Today is one of those messages. If you've got a notebook, get it. If you've got a pen, grab one. If you're watching on your TV and you have your phone handy, pull up your notes app. This is a message for you to go back to time and time again. And it doesn't matter if you're 95 or if you're 15. It doesn't matter if you're parents or, or you're discipling your teenagers. Everyone needs to develop Grit and everything in our culture is working against you having this in your life right now. So here's what I want us to do. Turn, I mentioned turning to Isaiah. Actually, I'm gonna have you move straight to Acts and we'll come back to that maybe at the end. As you turn to Acts uh, chapter five, know this, any kind of progress that you wanna make in the kingdom, growth, et cetera, et cetera, it's met with resistance. You will always be met with resistance. Progress is met with resistance. Growth is met with resistance. Every great endeavor is met with great resistance. 
whether it's the resistance from literally just your body, a, a sinful flesh, the corrupted flesh of our body, whether it's the world that we live in, the current, you know, the current values of, our, of the, the world that we live in, that's going to provide resistance. Or spiritual resistance in that there is an enemy that hates your guts and is doing everything you, he can to resist you making a difference in this world. He doesn't want you worshiping Jesus. He doesn't want you reading your Bible. He doesn't want you discipling the the next person, the neighbor, the person at church. He is going to resist you. So how do we overcome? And what do we see in the early church? Acts chapter 5, verse 18. The church has been crushing it. It's growing. People are getting baptized. People are getting saved. They're meeting in homes. They're eating meals together. They're going to the synagogue together. People are getting healed. Miracles are taking place. Sacrificial generosity is demonstrated at every turn. I mean, it's a blissful time. And then we run into some of our first problems. Ananias and Sapphira try to deceive the church and the church's leadership. That's a problem. Then we have uh, people, as the church is growing, we have system problems and breakdowns and people are beginning to get overlooked. And that's a problem. And now we're getting ready to experience the church's first persecution for preaching the gospel. Acts 5.18, the teachers of the law, they arrest the apostles. They had them arrested and put them in the public jail. They're jealous. And they're doing everything they can to resist this teaching about Jesus, the Messiah. Skip on down to verse 40. They called the, the apostles in. A lot happens in between these verses, and we're going to get to it. But by verse 40, they call them in, and they have them flogged. That means that they're whipped. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The church is experiencing its first taste of resistance through persecution. And it's not just the, it's not just something happened, it's a speed bump, or we're not growing the way that we used to, or that wasn't a real great message, or man, the leadership is a little tired, needs some time off. No, 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 no. The resistance is coming in such a way where people are now getting attacked and beaten and whipped and put in jail. This is hardcore resistance, and it's about to get worse. The first martyrdom is about to take place through Stephen and the disciples are going to be scattered. We're going to see the first person murdered for their faith in Jesus. And the church led by Saul in this moment, uh, excuse me, not the church led by Saul, but the persecution that's about to be led by Saul. People are going to be drug out of their homes. People are going to be arrested. People are going to be beaten. People are going to be fined. People are going to be killed for what they believe. And yet through it all, the church grows. The church multiplies and develops more churches. Leaders are born. Leaders are shaped and developed. Disciples are made. People are getting baptized. And the church continues to grow even in the midst of great difficulty and great obstacles. How does something like that happen? Two words, spiritual grit. They have grit, the ability to see it through. How did we define it? 
It's the ability to persevere through obstacles for a Christ-centered goal. So today, here's what we've got. I've got three qualities that we see in people throughout the scriptures who demonstrate spiritual grit. Now, we're going to look at the disciples and the apostles in this moment, but you can literally take it to just about anywhere in scripture where God is doing something great through people. In our world, we look at, at those who accomplish great things, and many times it's like the Marvel movie, right, where, where, where the people who are used are the people with extreme ability. They're bored with gifting, with talent, or the lab explosion that gives them secret powers, right, or, or just the crazy freak accident, and now you're embedded with the ability to be invisible or fly or shoot lasers out of your fingertips, whatever your superpower might be, right? We look at it as just these crazy supernatural abilities. And studies have shown that talent and ability are not a determining factor for someone's success. And I think the same would be true of spiritual growth and spiritual success as well. It's not about your talent and it's not about your ability. In fact, time and time again, God uses people that everyone else has ignored, the forgotten, the marginalized, those who don't seem to have anything going for them, the Davids of the world, right? He's the youngest. He's the smallest. You know, when, when Samuel comes to anoint the, the next king, uh, he doesn't, they don't even bring David into the house for Samuel to examine or look at because he's small and scrawny. There's no way this guy could be king. And yet it's exactly who God chooses because what he looks at and what he deems uh, useful is not what we do. So what are the three qualities? What are some of the qualities that we see in the apostles who have demonstrated spiritual grit? Acts 5, verse 15 through 16. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on the sum of them as he passed by. Verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits in all of them were healed. What do we see here? Time and time again, the apostles and the disciples, they experienced God's power and it changed their perspective. I want you, you to hear this because what I can't give you in this moment is this prescription for how you can experience God's power, right? And here's the three-step process that would trivialize God and be an insult to the scriptures and to him. But what I also want you to know and, and, and have a heart for, a thirst for, is that God's presence, His power, His glory on display, when you experience that, when you taste that, when you hunger for that, it changes your perspective. And when your perspective is different, your ability to see through the difficulty and see through the obstacles in front of you, it changes. You're able to hang on. You're able to hang in there because you know that the God that you serve is bigger. Why do you know that? Because you've seen him move before. You've seen his power on display. You know what he can do. You've experienced it before. And because you've experienced it there, you can experience it over here. It changes your ability to trust him and your willingness to trust him. 
One of the things that Satan loves to do, I've got a dime right here, is he loves to take these obstacles, these difficulties, these pain points in your life, and he pushes them as far as he possibly can up until all you can see. I realize this looks ridiculous, but all I can see right now out of my right eye is this dime. I can't hardly see around it. And, and Satan, he, he loves to give you a, a false perspective as well. And he pushes your problems and he pushes that resistance and he pushes those obstacles so far close to what you see that it's all you see. And so you think there's no hope. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give up now. But what you don't realize is that your perspective is maligned and God's power allows you to, to, to have that, that obstacle brought back out to its proper place. And you can see now, oh, that, that's not that big of a deal. Or maybe it is a big deal, but you, you still see it for what it truly is in light of God's grace and his goodness and his power. Faith in God doesn't guarantee a problem-free life or a storm-free life. But what it does is it changes your perspective. It guarantees an anchor in the midst of the storm. In the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of feeling resistance and obstacles, I want you to hear this. There is a lie that somehow, if you, if you put your faith in Jesus, that you've signed up for a problem-free life and you haven't. It's not going to be storm-free. There are going to be issues that come up, but you've got to be able to see them for what they truly are. And when your perspective is right, then you can at least, in the midst of it, understand that the anchor that you have been given through Jesus is far greater than the magnitude of any storm that is coming your way. Faith in God doesn't guarantee a storm-free life. But faith in God does guarantee an anchor in the midst of the storm. And when you and I have encountered his power, it gives you the right perspective to see that, to remember that, and cling to it when things get difficult. Faith in God does not guarantee a storm-free life. Faith in God does guarantee that you'll have an anchor to cling to and hold to in the midst of the storm. Another way to say it is that the stress of the storm reveals the worth of the anchor, that anchor being Jesus. When you look at the scriptures, we see the apostles and the disciples, they've seen God move. The apostles themselves were eyewitnesses to Jesus himself in the flesh. They saw his power on display. When you look at Moses, right? Moses, when he's trying to cross the Red Sea with millions of Israelites in tow, right? And they don't know how they're going to cross the Red Sea. It's a sea, okay, <laughs> right? Yeah, what has is, what is Moses seen already up to this point? He's seen God in the flaming bush. He's seen God move with he and his brother Aaron. He's seen God move in the courtroom of Pharaoh. He's seen God move in deliverance. He's seen God move in the plagues. He's seen God do the impossible time and time again already up to this point. Don't you think that that has given him just a little bit of a unique perspective to hang on and hold on and to trust God when things get difficult. It's afforded him some spiritual grit. 
And God moves over and over again throughout the ministry of Moses and the ministry of the disciples and in Abraham and Joseph, Rahab, Esther, Jochebed, Moses' mother. I mean, the list goes on. David, Elijah, Elisha, Deborah. All of these people have seen God move. And consequently, there's a no-quit button that just exists on the inside of them because they know that their God is bigger than the problem that they're facing. It gives them changed perspective. Number two, one of the things that we see with the apostles and the disciples is a, is a faithfulness to obey. They're faithful to obey. Look at this in verse 17. The high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared. Excuse me, angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. I ended that sentence a little bit early. <laughs> the angel showed up and set them free, okay? Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple, the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Temple courts are the most public place. The temple court is where all the activity has taken place. This is, this is commerce. This is worship. This is, this is the center of Jewish life. The disciples, the apostles in this moment have just been arrested. They've just been arrested. They're sitting in jail and an angel pops up. We don't see that, that they are on their praying game right here. We don't know that they've confessed the word or, or somehow marched around the jail cell seven times spiritually in their mind. Like, we don't know any of the things that have happened. I would imagine there's probably some praying taking place. But all in all, what we don't see is somehow their ability and talent being put on display and therefore God shows up and moves powerfully on their behalf. No, we've got some grit that's taking place, some endurance, some hanging on and trusting for God to move. An angel shows up and then tells them, go to the public square, go to the temple courts, and I want you to go ahead and preach again in the most public place possible. Now, if you're sitting arrested, an angel shows up, and now you're instructed to go to the very place that you know is going to gain the most attention, there might be a tendency to want to give a little, but what do you think about this conversation? It, my kids, I have four kids, and there, uh, hardly a moment goes by where they aren't instructed to do something small and menial and insignificant, and they don't have something to say about it. And I don't mean that, they ha that they're, they're smart alecks or talking back. I just mean, but Dad, what do you think about this? I know you want me to feed the dog, but what if they do it? What if my sister does it? That's a good idea, isn't it? I know you want to make hamburgers, but what do you feel about Chick-fil-A? What do you think? Huh? Right? There's always a counter idea. 
something that they feel is a little bit better. Imagine the disciples, the apostles in this moment. They know they're being asked to walk straight into the hornet's nest. There's no protest. There's no balking. There's simply, I, I, captain. Whatever you say, God, is whatever you say, and it goes. There's no second guessing you. I'm not questioning your your motives. I know who you are. I know the kind of God that you are. You are a trustworthy God, and because you are trustworthy, your plans are trustworthy. Even though I may not understand it, I may not see it all the way through on the other side, I don't get it. If you are trustworthy, then the plans issued forth from you can also be trusted. And therefore, the disciples and the apostles are marked by obedience. And I want to say radical obedience. But obedience should never be radical. This should just be what we do. But consequently, many times, we're like the you know, the, the young middle school teenager with, with something always to say. And if you're watching and you're in middle school and in high school, I love you. I think that you're amazing. <laughs> Listen to your mom and dad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is something about being able to say, yes, God. And to just obey him. Oftentimes, it's the, the smallest things that we struggle with obedience, and we wonder why. In the moments of, of difficulty, people walk away. It's because we haven't built up any kind of endurance, any kind of stamina, any kind of obedience in the little things, so that when it really matters in these significant moments, that we'd be able to. A boxer, uh, when they first begin boxing, they don't have much bone density. Right? But what happens as you tape up and you strap on these gloves and you start hitting a bag and you start sparring and you actually go you know, round for round in the ring, what happens as you take impact and you take hits, it's interesting, your bones actually become stronger. They grow in bone density based on your willingness to take a punch, to, to take a hit. I love this. I realize I'm getting into some Rocky Sylvester Stallone type moments here, right? I can quote them. They're the great, it's like the greatest movie franchise ever in the history of the world. Besides Star Wars. Understand something. I'm not suggesting that you obeying God is like taking a hit. But the principle is still at work and alive that as you obey and as you trust God through little moments and a little bit bigger moments and a little bit bigger moments and a little bit bigger moments, you grow in spiritual density. There's a toughness that you begin to gain and grow in, right? A a thickness in your soul, not to God's presence, but your ability to have spiritual grit, to hang on, to endure through and over obstacles in order to experience a Christ-centered goal. We need this in the church. 
Because there's always something knocking on the door of your heart and soul to leave, to walk away, to quit those relationships, to give up on the Bible, to give up praying, to give up on God. And you need spiritual, spiritual grit. Something that exists deep down inside you. Lastly, the disciples had conviction, right? So we started off, they had encountered God's power. They had a faithfulness to obey. And then they had just this thing down inside of them that, that I like to call conviction. And, and, and I realize in all of these qualities that we're talking about, you, you can ask yourself, well, did they, did they have those qualities and therefore that produced spiritual grit? Or did they have spiritual grit and therefore did it then produce these qualities? And, and, and the, the truth is, I don't know. I don't have the ability to really, to, to really divide all of these things out in the fullness of, of how it all works. I want to. But there is a hunger and thirst for God that you have to have. What predicates much of this is that you would desire it and that you would care about it and that you'd want to grow more into the fullness of God and that he would actually use you. If you don't care about those things, if you don't are interested in those things, then don't be surprised that spiritual grit, the ability to hang on through those tough times, isn't really there. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles, verse 29, they replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. They're talking to the other teachers of the law who've just had them put in jail and now are warning them, threatening them, and getting ready to have them whipped. We must obey God rather than you. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Okay, that's bold. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They have the Holy Spirit. What does he say? That God has given the Holy Spirit to those who are obedient. If you love me, You'll obey my commands. Man, they had a passion, didn't they? There's a conviction. We are not here to please you or to please people. I'm here to please God, my heavenly Father. That is what wakes me up. That's what makes me tick. I'm not here for you. God bless you. But I'm not here for you. I'm here for God, my audience of one. Verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They have just experienced the church's first persecution. They're put in jail and then they're whipped. 
for professing that Jesus and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. They're warned, they're threatened, and they're told to be quiet. And they get released the second time, might I add. Angel already set them free once, then they get brought back in. And then what is it that they do? They immediately begin doing the exact same thing. They begin teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus. The word says that they never stopped. They're convicted. There's a conviction inside of them. They truly believe that what they're doing has eternal significance. They're convinced that what they're doing holds eternal significance. I want you to hear this. I'm half begging you in this moment that the life that you live, it is not insignificant. And if you think that the life that you're living, the the words that come out of your mouth, the friends that you have, whether you're a uh, stay-at-home mom or dad, whether you go into an office where you're working from an office in your home, whether you're walking around the neighborhood, whether you're at the grocery store, whether you're in traffic, all of the things that make your life your life, they hold significance, eternal significance, might I add, in the lives of someone else. How you engage with other people, how you love other people, how you worship God, it has significance. And if you really believe that, It changes how you get up in the morning. It changes the conviction that you have regarding the life that you live, that what you are doing matters. So much so that even in this particular case, you've been arrested and you've been whipped, but because you believe so much in the reality and truth that Jesus Christ saves, it doesn't matter if you get arrested again. It doesn't matter if you get beaten again. There is a conviction inside of you that the, the manner in which you live and the words coming out of your mouth have eternal significance. Your life isn't going to look like the apostles. Our culture doesn't look like their culture, but it does not change the reality that everything that you do matters. It has significance. Let that conviction rise up inside of you and change how you live. That will, that will produce a grit inside of you. You know that when difficulty comes, yep, difficulty's here, but you know what? I know that what I'm doing, what I'm standing for, what, how I'm living, I know that it matters. I know I may not see it paying off now, but I know it matters, I know it matters, I know it matters, and I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep reading my Bible. I'm going to keep getting up and going to church, even though I'm out of not. I'm not even used to it anymore. It's been a year since I've gotten off my couch and began going to a church service. Well, today's my day. I'm going to break this rhythm because I know it matters. It has significance for me, my family, my kids, my neighbor matters. These are the three things. Oh, I'm sure and confident there are more. 
But one of the things that we see in the Bible with people that God uses over and over and over again is that they have a pattern of of hungering for his power and seeing it, and it changes their perspective. We see them being faithful to obey even when what God says to them is confusing and hard and difficult. And lastly, we see them having an incredible conviction that how they live and what they're doing has eternal significance. In the life of our church, I believe we need the same qualities at work. We're going to have some hard times. You will. We will. Together we will. God will sustain us. God will move. God will work through our lives. But you're going to need spiritual grit to hang on and to see God through it. Father, I thank you right now for High Point Church. I I thank you for those that are watching who aren't necessarily a part of our church, but watching from different cities and states. And I pray right now, God, that you would move powerfully in our lives, that we would see your power at work and on display. God, that it would change our perspective and ability to trust you. God, I pray that you would help us to obey you through all of it. God, the things that we have wrongly deemed small or insignificant, I pray you'd help us be obedient and faithful in those moments, that we might be faithful and obedient in the large moments. And God, I pray for a deep, deep, profound conviction that how we live our lives, it matters, not only to you, not only to to our families and our homes and our roommates, but God, to those who do not yet know you. God, give us a fresh conviction for how we live and how we live for you. Father, we love you and worship you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So great to be here with you this morning. Thank you for joining uh, me here to talk about spiritual grit. We're going to be right back uh, on camera next week. And look forward to continuing uh, to worship with you.